A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Kia ora and welcome. From Radio New Zealand National, here's Our Changing World. And now on Our Changing World, we stay with the forces of nature, but closer to home, and one of our most distinctive volcanoes, Mount Taranaki. When we think of large volcanic eruptions, the Taupo volcanic zone comes to mind. But Mount Taranaki also has the potential to erupt explosively, and some of its smaller eruptions can be equally destructive. Ruth Barron meets Mesa University PhD student Rafael Torres Orozco to talk about Mount Taranaki's volcanic history and its potential for future eruptions. So now we are going off of the track and going to, into the bush, and this is like a hidden path to go to the section, or to the cliff, where we are going to see the rocks. Okay. And probably we are going to get a bit wet, but hopefully not. Okay. So are you ready? I hope so. <laughs> I'll follow you. All right. So here we are. This is a place where I work, Cortis Ridge. And uh, so we climb up here and have this cliff in which we can see the different layers of rocks. Yeah. And that's why it, make it makes it a, a good spot to work on. And um, we are just now going down here. It looks dangerous, but it's not it that dangerous. It does look dangerous. <laughs> yeah, because it's quite steep, but you can see the different um, layers there. What yep. are they? There's different layers. As you can see, they have different colors. Here, in this particular place, we can actually correlate those colors to different layers, which correspond to these different eruptions, which has been uh, deposited by different events at Mount Taranaki along the history. And here we are looking at the youngest eruption, which is just on top making the soil where the vegetation is growing. And that eruption is a uh, 1665 uh, Borel Lapidi, or Borel eruption, which was uh, the last largest eruption uh, coming from this volcano. So in 1665. 1665. Then we can go down from 1665 uh, to the Manganui eruption, uh, or, or series of eruptions, which are very distinctive because they are making these black rocks just in the middle. And they go from... 2.9 thousand years up to more or less 2,000 years. So it's a 900 years period, more or less, of different events uh, happening. And then, I mean, the other large eruption, which is really easy to recognize, is these yellowish rocks on the bottom, and that's the Inglewood eruption, the Inglewood event, which uh, was about 3,000 years. And then we have a series of rocks, rocks in which they just look massive and of all sizes and without any really order, they are just massive there. And all of these rocks were formed by uh, what we call block and ash flows, which are like uh, domes uh, of lava growing up at the top of the volcano. And then by different processes like overpressure or changes in temperature, these domes are just, uh, they just collapse, they just erupt and are blasted to the surface and making all of these uh, massive and uh, cha chaotic uh, deposits which we can see here and yeah so we are going down there I'm going to show you what's above all of these massive rocks which are the some of the largest eruptions in Taranaki's history the black one and the yellow one which are Manganui and Inglewood as I said are really important in the history of this volcano because 
This black and this yellow represent different chemical compositions. And what's intriguing about them is that they just come one after the other. So something really amazing happened in the volcano in order to produce a yellow layer, which is uh, made of pumice and tends to be really high in silica. Uh, well, not high, but uh, higher than the black thing. And then we have a shift in the chemical composition in the volcano, triggering now the black stuff, which is a really low silica, uh, a low silica event. And you take samples from those and take them back to the lab, don't you? Yes. And study their chemical composition. Yes, yes. Um, well, I, th this work um, comprises two, uh, two stages. The first one is doing the field work, which is coming here, understanding what we are looking. And then once we understand what we are looking and where are we are standing, then we take the samples like in a really detailed order. Because if you just go there and take any rock, like randomly, it might not represent anything or you might not even understand what is it representing. And maybe you need actually to take not just one rock, but rocks in some order from the from bottom to top and and with some sense, right? The black layer is just fine lapidity coarse ash, which, which is fine. But the deposit is really thick. It's almost one meter size. Um, so we now you can see that we have two different large eruptions. One that has a big grain size, but it's not that thick. And one which is really thick, but it's uh, fine in you know, the, the size of the grains. It's really fine. And this is just produ produced by different types of eruptions. Both are large. They just have different dynamics and imply different processes. And, and um, if we could see now an eruption, I hopefully not, but <laughs> if we could, and then we can compare both of them, we would see different phenomena happening on the top. Um, with the yellow one, for example, we would see uh, pyroclastic flows, which are just really hot uh, flows of ash and steam and rocks coming down the volcano through uh, thanks to the gravity and filling, filling in valleys and blank uh, and um, covering all the surface and burning everything on their way. While with the black uh, layer, we would be looking at a high, really high column uh, erupting from the top of the volcano, going into the atmosphere, and then dispersing all of these rocks, thanks to the gravity also. But uh, as you can see, it's like a different process, different eruption. Maybe um, the first, the pyrocastic flow, is a bit more dangerous? Uh, it depends. I think both are dangerous. The pyroclastic flow would make it really dangerous for people who are close to the volcano and around. Uh, maybe the farms that are just like close to the limits of the national park because these things reach far distances. It can reach more or less up to 20 kilometers, probably one of the largest. And um, yeah, and they burn everything. So it's really dangerous. And there is no chance for you to run or to escape out of these clouds. They are not just like a team blanket of ash, like as you can see the deposit, but they are actually huge clouds of meters of tens of meters of, of of size. So even if you, for example, if you are on the way of a pyroclastic flow and you think it's a good idea to climb a tree and wait there, that is not going to work because probably the cloud will just cover the whole tree. And with the other one, if you are here, you might be safe, you might be protected because this column is going into the atmosphere and then the ash fall and it's not really a problem and immediate for people who are here. But 
But in the long term, these ashes will contaminate the water, will contaminate, well, well we'd cover the farms. Basically, they will cover everything. We'll cover our roof, roofs of houses, and that becomes also like a really uh, huge hazard. The other problem is that these eruptions might not really just include one, uh, what we call eruptive phase. I mean, eruptive phase would be if we have a pyroclastic flow, another eruptive phase would be having a column, but these eruptions actually include more than just that eruptive phase. Like, for example, example the, the first one, the yellow one, which is the Inglewood eruption, it comprises a pyroclastic flow, which is a blast, and then it also includes a column, which deposited uh, big pieces of pumice from the atmosphere. The black one has a small pyroclastic flows, which might just be uh, limited to the national park, and they won't really represent a uh, hazard for farms or outside the, the park, but, uh, but also include them, and then the column comes. So in both eruptions, there is a phase, uh, eruptive phase, which is the most representative and which gives the, the eruption the character of a large of a large event. However, they might also include like other eruptive phases, which are just smaller uh, I mean, when you compare them. And by studying these past events, you might be able to help predict future events? Yeah, that's uh, well, in volcanology and for us, it's always the, the aim is to, at the end, be able like to reconstruct the, the history of the volcano, the the frequency of the eruptions and came up with a probability of when's the next eruption going to happen. And there are actually people working in that. It's not my case because, as you can see, this is like a huge job and yeah. uh, and the whole the whole cake needs to be divided in between many PhD students and many researchers. But yeah, at the end, uh, the aim is just to put all the pieces together and someone will study just uh, the statistics, the probabilities and and also the distribution of hazards because they might have they might occur in different in different uh, places and different distances from the volcano so in my case i'm studying the east side of the national park why is it the east because as we can see from the records of rocks most of these uh, pyroclastic eruptions were distributed to the east by the prevailing winds when when they happen uh, whereas to the west, we have different things happening. Um, events like debris avalanches, which happen when the volcano just collapses completely. And we have a very good example of Mount St. Helens in 1980 at the US. And, um, and there are also more uh, dome destruction, uh, domes destructed which uh, flow to the west and they will look like all of the massive rocks that you can see just down here. Uh, and we almost have nothing of, uh, of fall deposits and pyroclastic flows of these kind of like the yellow and the black one that I am showing to you. So that's why well, we decided I would just come to the east and try to find something in the west. But after doing the fur, I realized well, no, most of the things are just going to the east. So just let's go that there. What we are going to do now after using the shovel, just to make the hard work first, then we go into the detail work. And to do the detail work, we need the scrapper first. Because with this scrapper, we are going to do the same like with the shovel, but now uh, just cleaning like little by little. Just scraping, scraping yeah. off the layers. Yeah, exactly. 
And uh, as you can see, the shovel was not only to make the, the steps, but uh, also just to clean a bit. Like for example, now that I did the, that I uh, made the holes, we can see layers that we didn't see before because they were covered under the scree falling from above. So we are going to start now from the bottom, from the oldest eruption up to the youngest. And we go, as I said, into the detail. So what I want to show you is this layer, as I said, the, the yellow layer. And first of all, let's clean it from the top and then it will become, it will look different. It's still yellow, but things start to be like, like changing because then we realize that actually not everything is yellow and not everything is just made out of these big pieces but there are also like really fine ashes in between and these are just like sands i mean if we can think of volcanic uh, deposits in terms of sediments in general because finally they were just deposited as any sediment on earth uh, just by a different process so we will get different sizes and this is exactly like a sandstone mm. um, but we know this is we would call this like a fine ash because of the place where we are just close to the volcano and of course because we have evidence of uh, a magmatic processes magmatic processes going on which is uh, these uh, pieces of of rock which are called pumice and pumice is produced at a volcano and well, we are here just now, like one kilometer from the top. So uh, the uh, the easiest thing to to realize is that actually these were deposited after an eruption of the volcano. And as you can maybe hear, you can break these pieces of rock. Pumice is really easy to break because it has lots of holes. This isn't the only site that you look at, is it? No, no, no. This is just one out of 30, I think. And all of them look like this, a cliff <laughs> in which uh, you can fall and it's really kind of uh, difficult to reach. This is one of the easiest actually to reach. Thankfully but, for me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's really nice because, I mean, this is a really nice place because it shows so many things. At those different sites, do you see a very similar story? Yeah, I always follow like the largest deposits, uh, but... But of course, in between these large deposits, there are also stories of small things happening. And for example, now we see that there is a small thing here. But in the next side, we will see that there are, might be five different things. So the key, uh, the key uh, to understand how these things correlate to other places is to see really the composition of each one, uh, really to understand the dynamics that this was just a fall, that this has ashes and fall and ashes, um, because... Maybe in the next place, for example, going to the north, we won't see this ash and we will just see a single pumice layer. But then we understand, of course, that this ash was produced just by a local pyroclastic flow collapsing from the column, but which was not distributed to the whole volcano. So you always need to take into account those things variating in order to not get lost. <laughs> And understanding then the differences in the types of eruptions yep. means that you do have an idea what may be coming in the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's uh, well, that's my job. <laughs> this volcano is uh, has been quiet for some time, but um, the last eruption, which is just above there, 
uh, it's a uh, pumice which is really similar to Inglewood but was seems not to be that uh, complex with so many layers however um, well there is a dome on top so probably this dome needs to collapse in order to the, for the next eruption to come if this dome is enough um, let's say hard enough uh, stable to generate overpressure uh, inside this dome will collapse will form a block and ash flow like this one and this block and ash flow will also form an ash like this one below Inglewood and depending on how much pressure was uh, accumulated inside will be the event that we will have because we could have uh, a pyroclastic flow being blasted to the surface after this pressure or maybe the dump won't uh, be enough to generate that much pressure so it will just collapse and then we'll just generate a column that will generate something like manganui producing fall deposits but it's always like hard to say which one but at least we have like shoes on two possibilities based on the large eruptions that we have seen and for example this Inglewood uh, event has happened before I mean this is just the jungle's blast that we have with fall deposit but it has happened before many times like we have a Corito eruption which is 4,000 years Tariki eruption which is four and a half thousand years Mangatoki eruption which is about five about uh, five thousand years we are in between that range at least we have two choices but any of them would be actually very dangerous uh, and and that's what we would call the the largest possible uh, scenario uh, to happen in Monteranaki. That was Rafael Torres Orozco from Massey University at his Mount Taranaki site. That's all for now. For more, check us out on the web, radionz.co.nz forward slash Our Changing World. Kia ora mai.